Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. And many of you have likely heard of the passing of another one of our colleagues by suicide. It's heartbreaking. And this week, I am joined by Rusty George, lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. You see, Rusty knows firsthand what it is like for a church to navigate the suicide of one of its pastors. In January of 2019, Jim Howard, the family life pastor at Real Life Church, took his life. In this episode, Rusty shares how he and his staff led their church through this tragedy, including a key piece of advice he received before sharing the news with their congregation. Rusty also provides thoughts on whether or not a person struggling with mental wellness is qualified to serve as a pastor. Rusty and I discuss some practical ways to create safe space for our staff, our volunteers, and our congregation. I sincerely appreciate Rusty's wisdom and his heart in sharing with us, so please join me in my conversation with Rusty George. Rusty, welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us, brother. Well, thank you, Jason. It's an honor to be with you and uh, always love listening to your podcast. So to be on it is uh, is a real treat. So thanks. Well, thank you, Rusty. Uh, Rusty, the church world has really been rocked yet again as another of our colleagues has died from suicide. Jared Wilson, who was a staff pastor at Harvest. Uh, Jared was a personal friend of mine. Um, and I've, I've had him on the podcast in the past to talk about mental health issues, those that he had experienced, and then also how does the church respond to mental health issues? How do we minister into those? And uh, brother, this is a topic that you are very familiar with because you and your church have lived this out within, uh, we're really within this past year, mm-hmm. back in, in January, um, one of your staff pastors, Jim Howard, died by suicide, and you and your staff and your church have been navigating this reality for several months now. So I just want to thank you first for for being here to share what God has taught you and um, really what God has been brought you and your church through as, um, as you've been um, navigating this, brother. Well, thank you. Um, it's obviously not the 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 topic that we want to be discussing, but it is certainly prevalent in our our age today, and I think a lot of church leaders are are wrestling with this. I I just got off a, um, a participating in a, a Twitter conversation through Christianity Today talking about this subject matter and the amount of church leaders out there that are are facing this because of somebody on their staff or because of something in their own life. Um, it is far greater than I think we we really know. Mm. You know, you know, one of the biggest uh, discussions um, of late in response to what appears to be this this increase in pastor suicides, or at least an increased awareness of them, uh, revolves around whether or not a person who has mental health issues and, and struggles with that is fit or is qualified to serve as a pastor. Rusty, I'm, I'm curious how you would respond to to this question. Um, having having lived this out as a lead pastor and with pastor on your staff? Well, I, I think the knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, of course they are, but you have to ask, okay, now, well, well why is that? Uh, and kind of process that a little bit. And I think there's different levels and degrees of 
uh, mental health struggles and uh, issues that people deal with. You could start with um, anxiety and go all the way into depression, into bipolar and, and the like. Uh, first and foremost, I just think about some biblical examples. I think about Elijah who, who wanted to die and uh, begged God to take his life. And God's response was to bring him Elisha. Uh, I think about, um, you know, David in some of the Psalms, we read about his desire to, uh, to have never been born or to die. We see this with Job and the struggles that he goes through. Uh, we even see this with the, um, the Apostle Paul at times where he talks about it'd be better for him to go and be with the Lord. And I think that we have to understand that, first of all, we all have our issues. We all have our brokenness. I think it was Lewis Smedes that talked about that creation is a lot like a waiter that walks across the room carrying a, a, you know, a tray full of, of dishes and he drops it and everything breaks, but it all breaks differently. And I think we all break differently uh, in this fallen world, and we wrestle with various things. And some people wrestle with a, a mental health uh, dilemma or issue or illness, um, some greater than others, some requiring medication, some not. And so to say that somebody who has that particular break in their life is disqualified from being a pastor would be to disqualify a lot of people that we hold up as heroes in the scriptures and a lot of people that have served as well as heroes in our faith. Yeah, that's insightful. Many of the people who listen to our podcast, obviously, are church leaders of some sort. Some, Rusty, like you, are lead pastors. They're senior pastors. And and some of them might be thinking through um, what what you experienced, what has happened at Harvest with Jared. And they might be thinking, you know, what if I miss a warning sign in one of my fellow ministers, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I mean, that's a very real thought when, when things like this happen. Um, what advice do you have for them? Well, I think, first of all, we all live with survivor's guilt. And when you're close to, to a situation, you start wrestling with, I should have seen this. I should have known this. Um, I had um, the awful uh, and yet somewhat holy responsibility of uh, passing this information along to Jim's uh, sister and to his mother who live in Kentucky. And I had to call them and tell them what had happened. And I was honored to be able to walk with them through this, but obviously it was a horrible conversation to have. And with each of them and with some of his closest friends who uh, were back in Kentucky, as they heard the news, they all had a story of, I should have known, I should have seen this. And he said something at Christmas, or he mentioned something a few weeks ago on the phone. And and we all have these you know, things we can trace back and go, well, I, I should have known. Yet, when they, when they survey people and investigate and talk to people that actually survive a suicide attempt, most of them say that the decision that they made to try suicide happened in about a three to five minute window. Mm. It really happens quite quickly. You can see the signs of mental health um, struggles you can certainly see maybe some questioning that people have, and they always tell us if somebody talks about suicide, ask them, do they have a plan? Because that at least lets you know how, how much are they thinking about it. But the actual act of doing it is oftentimes a very, very quick decision. So as pastors who are leading a, a staff of people, and the odds are somebody on your staff is struggling 
with uh, one of these issues. I think there's, you know, some questions you can ask. You First of all, you create an open environment to talk about it. And we had an open environment. I've talked about some of my own issues with anxiety and worry and, and stress and medication that I take. Uh, and Jim spoke about that as well, even from stage. And I felt like we had at least created the culture for conversation about it. And I think that's the first thing you have to do as, as the leader of your, of your staff. I think there are other means we could go to. Um, I think you could begin to ask questions of um, how closely do you want me to hold you accountable to any medication that you're taking? Obviously, you have to give people permission or they have to give you permission to, to do this. Mm -hmm. But I think these are conversations we have to start having. Um, we have to probably start mandating uh, counseling rather than just saying it's here for you if you want it. Uh, I think we have to get a little bit more aggressive about pastoring our people uh, rather than just knowing that we've created a culture where you can come to me. I know the old adage we used to say was, well, my door's always open. Come and talk if you want. But they don't often do that. So how do we really tr truly let them know that we're trustworthy so that they will come and talk to us? These are the conversations we need to start having. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. Rusty, I'm curious, after Jim's passing, were there any um, changes or adjustments that you did as as a lead pastor with with your staff or even with the the church as a whole you know as, as you went through this were there things that you decided hey we need to maybe emphasize this more or we need to make some shifts here yeah i think we had to we had to take a long look about how open are we to discussing this i mean like i just said we prided ourselves on being a church that deals with real life that's right. our name real, right, right. real life church you know? yeah so we would deal with these issues, but but do we deal with them enough? Is it enough for me to talk about this once a year or should it be once a month? And I don't mean an entire message, but at least mentioning the the fact that there are those of us that are struggling with this. The questions we should be asking each other about, are you taking care of yourself? How can I help you? Um, those kind of things. And then even amongst our staff, uh, we we redesigned how we meet together. And what I mean by that is we used to have staff meeting and we would deal with business and we'd pray at the end. Mm. Then we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have two different meetings a month. One is business meeting. The other is staff chapel. Mm. And we will not just have a devotion and a couple of songs, but we uh, empowered a guy on our staff who is very passionate about spiritual disciplines and has a spiritual mentor and mentors other people to mentor us. And he became the guy to teach us in things like, you know, Christian meditation and mindfulness and being able to uh, open up and talk about some of these things. We also um, brought in a couple that were retired pastors that aren't on staff, and we asked them to be kind of our uh, staff chaplains, so to speak, and meet with people individually and pray with them and meet with their spouses and pray with them as well to create a safe person to talk to that's not on the org chart. Uh, the, the difficult thing for a lot of us who hire people from our church and they come on our staff is now suddenly their pastors become their boss and their church has become their office. And they, they kind of lose that place of where I can go and who I can talk to. And certainly if you're the lead pastor, you probably don't know who it is you can talk to and assume you're supposed to have it all together. 
And just confiding on another person on your staff or even on your board isn't always the best thing for everybody. So who is that person? And we tried to create that by bringing in some outside help that was here on a constant basis. That's good, Rusty. And I imagine for pastors who are listening in who might be at smaller churches and don't have you know, as, as a large a staff or maybe the, the resourcing or those type of people in their lives, um, you'd recommend them finding, uh, finding someone outside the church that they're regularly checking into? Exactly. Uh, all of the help we brought in, um, with the exception of the guy on staff that leads our staff chapel, was outside help, non-paid. Mm. And so you really can uh, find other churches that maybe have some of those resources they'd be willing to share with you. Uh, you can find retired pastors, retired counselors that will come in and help. The morning that we had to tell our staff what had happened, we brought in a variety of counselors just to be in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told the news and I, you know, we talked about it. We prayed and I said, do not leave this room without talking with one of these counselors. And we grouped up and we prayed together and we cried together and we talked to, to these counselors and then they made themselves available to talk to us further on in the weeks and the months to come. Um, and that's kind of the way this thing happens. It's, it's a little bit like we're all, you know, standing in a lake and somebody throws a large rock in. Well, those closest to the rock, they get the biggest splash. But if you're far away, you might get a little ripple. And some people, they don't feel it near as, as difficult or as badly as somebody else does. But those closest to the splash, that's, that's the really difficult zone. And those closest to the splash are usually the ones that have to lead others through it. And I know for me and for a few others that were very close to the situation, we had to do the leading. And it was a few weeks later when we had to be led. Mm. And that was the time when we had to really lean into some outside help uh, to help us process what was going on. Rusty, so tell me, how did you um, kind of walk your congregation through mm. through processing, you know, one of one of your pastor's um, deaths? Because um, I imagine that um, I mean, and death is is challenging and difficult at all times, right? But whenever mm. one of your your ministry leaders, one of your pastors, has has taken their life, uh, I imagine that. Um, is another level of of leadership. So how how did you really walk your people through that? Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you kind of the long answer on this that might be helpful for any pastor that's out there. And, and just so they know, I'm more than happy to talk to any pastor that has to go through this very difficult thing, because we really did learn a lot through this journey. Uh, the first thing that we did was when we got the news, this was on a Wednesday night when this event took place, and our first service of the weekend is Thursday night. Uh, and so we meet Thursday night and we meet Sunday morning, and it's all the same service. And I knew that the the press was going to get a hold of this and they would begin to get the information out. And so we got a hold of the press uh, Wednesday night. And we said, we're going to give you all the information you want. We just ask for you to hold it until after Thursday night service. That way we at least get the first chance to tell our staff and then we get to tell our church. And Kay Warren gave us some great advice. um, And she's so, so helpful having been through this very difficult thing in her own life. And she has so many resources at kaywarren.com. But she said, you're going to have to lead the family. Then you're going to have to lead your staff. And then you're going to have to lead your congregation. And then you're going to have to lead your community. 
because this will bring it out in your community. People are like, uh, I've wrestled with this. And if a pastor can't figure it out, how can I? And so you get all this stuff you have to deal with. So the first thing we, de- we did was we dealt with the media and we said, can you hold off? Then uh, I told our congregation on uh, Thursday night and then the press released their announcement. And then we put out a message on social media Thursday night as well. I let everybody know we're going to spend the entire time talking about it on Sunday morning at all of our services. And that's what we did. And that was the most difficult message I've ever preached. It's like doing a funeral several times in a row. Mm. Uh, You have to get up and you have to explain what happened. You have to answer the questions in the room. And I was prepared to answer this question. Um, Do we know if Jim is in heaven? Mm. Is this the unforgivable sin? And one of our counselors said to me, don't address that on a blanket statement from stage because you have people out there looking for permission. Deal with that individually as it comes up. Write it in a blog that you can share to people who ask or who are searching. But if you just make a blanket statement from stage that, you know what, we know Jim is in heaven because Jesus forgives all sins and the like, you might just give some people permission. So that was so helpful. So I took that out of the talk. I, I addressed the question, if if a pastor, and certainly in Jared's case, if a guy who's advocating for mental health uh, is unable to be healthy or unable to overcome suicidal thoughts, what's the hope for the rest of us? Mm. And the answer is certainly found in Jesus, and the answer is certainly found in community. And we recognize that just because somebody made a bad choice— in a vulnerable moment does not negate all the good that they've previously done. So you look at all of that and you begin to process it from a little bit more of a logical standpoint. And I just tried to help walk our people through it. And then I shifted towards, okay, what if you are thinking about this? Can I tell you three things that I wish I could have told my friend Jim before he made this decision? And I just walked him through things like that. There is hope. And I love what Jared's widow is saying right now that Jared used to say, and that hope is that that is that hope gets the last word. And Jesus death covers not just a multitude of sin, but every sin, including this. And because of that, there is there is hope and there is love and there is community. And the quicker we talk about it with somebody, the more likely it is we are to find healing. And that's that's what I tried to walk our church through. The last piece I would say is this. We decided to open up our church on a Wednesday night a couple weeks later and talk about it to our community. And we got the word out on local media, our radio station, through social media sites, opened it up to other churches and just said, if you have lost someone, if you're wrestling with this, come in, let's talk about it. And we were able to provide a lot of help for people in our community that way uh, who, who come looking. And I will just caution every pastor out there, you are going to get people that throw rocks and that are rude and are mean and light you up on social media and tell you that your church is um, not not godly enough, not holy enough, and that's why this happened to you. Don't let the enemy take you down this road because there's far more voices out there asking for help than there are uh, saying hurtful things. Speak to those people. They're the ones that need your help. Mm, that's so good, brother. Now, it's been for you— uh, in your church, real life, 
uh, it's been about nine months now, almost nine it months, has. right? And talk to us a little bit about, um, obviously you shared initially how you guys approached it, but what has these nine months been like? I mean, how what how have dynamics changed? What impact has this had on the church as a whole, the ministry? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that it, you know, like I said, with the, the rock and the water, um, those closest to it certainly are still struggling. Um, and it's, you know, there's, there's good days, there's bad days. You just walk through grief and getting people into grief groups, finding support is so helpful. We were told early on from our counselors on our staff that came in to help our staff, tell Jim stories. And as you remember him, talk about him. And so we'll often tell funny things that Jim said or did and remember the good moments because it does help the healing process. So for those closest to the situation, we've had a lot of those moments of just talking about it. For those furthest from the situation, uh, they've really kind of moved on and they've seen us as a church that's open and that's honest and that deals with the very difficult subject matters. Um, And then there are people out there that have wrestled with these issues and they've come in for for help and they've reached out and we've seen people uh, flood into our grief groups and they've they've flooded into our celebrate recovery groups. And we've been able to provide a lot of healing that way. So nine months removed, I think we have proved ourselves to be a church that weathers these storms, but also a church that's a safe place for people going through these storms. That's um, it's good. I mean, it's. We always talk about God's uh, a God who redeems, and so it's it's always um, you know good to hear when something a tragedy strikes like this that uh, there's opportunity for for you know ministry and even as you said opening your doors to the community and you have you know people who are coming into these grief groups and people who have experienced this in their own lives um, and you have the opportunity to minister to them. So I think that's you know just a uh, a beautiful thing of how God uses many of these tragedies to help us become a safer place and a more open place, maybe where people feel comfortable in the community, even um, entering in and and having these conversations of, of life and of death and these spiritual conversations. Rusty, you, you, one of the things that you mentioned, someone shared some wisdom with you as you were talking and, and uh, preparing to tell your church and you know, on that Sunday morning talking through this about being careful that you uh, aren't giving people who are struggling permission because of how, how we talk about uh, suicide and death. That's, that's, a, that's a huge balance to strike. I was wondering if you could take a, a little more time because I know that's something that I'm, I personally have, have tried to navigate through because I have people in my life that I love dearly who, who struggle with mental health issues and then you lose someone. It struggles, it's, and those questions arise, you try to navigate that conversation. Can you tell a little bit more about how you or in even your staff and maybe direction that you help provide to your staff when it came specifically to um, how we talk about someone who has died by suicide in such a way that um, it, it honors God in the midst of it all, but also doesn't kind of open up that door for, you know, permissioning someone else to do the same? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's helpful to talk about, obviously, that everybody's created in the image of God. We're all broken by sin, but God still has a purpose for us in life. And his purpose for us of being that, that uh, work of art that he is uh, 
creating and doing a good work through, as Paul talks about, um, emphasizing that and emphasizing that uh, God that God's idea is never for us to end things prematurely. And there is always another way out. Um, but also stressing um, that for those of us who have lost loved ones to suicide, that God's bigger than that. And God can still work through that. Uh, I remember hearing one of the communicators that night when we dealt with the community talk about the stats of people whose parents commit suicide and then or one of their parents committing suicide and, and then that child growing up and committed committing suicide are astronomical how they go up if you watch a parent go through this and reasoning with an individual about you know you're making a decision that not only impacts you but your family and could cause them to make that same decision because for many people that are contemplating suicide they're thinking my family will be better off without me when studies show us it's just the opposite now of course you're dealing with reason with someone that might be irrational at the time but when people come up and have questions about you know will they still go to heaven um what they want to know is, you know, is my loved one in heaven? Uh, are they out of suffering? And if you begin to figure that out, that's the question they're really asking and not, will I be okay if I do this? Then you can kind of know how to tailor your conversation and what it is they need to hear. Um, it's a little bit like some of the biggest subject matters we deal with in the church. They can't always be responded to with just a elevator pitch. It really requires a relationship where you're finding out why that question is so important to them in the first place. Right. No, that's that's, that's so true and so helpful. Rusty, why, why do you think we're seeing pastors dying by suicide? Uh, I think that we've always had mental illness. I think we've always had anxiety, but I think, and I hate to blame it all on this, but with the escalation of technology and social media, we have constant bad news in our faces 24 seven. Mm. We have cyber bullying. We have comparison games. Um, it used to be, uh, you could run your church and only feel bad about yourself when you went to the annual convention or conference. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you were around other pastors that had bigger churches than yours. Uh, but now, because of social media, you can baptize 100 people and feel really good about yourself till you uh, get on Facebook and discover that another church baptized 1,000 people this weekend. And now suddenly you feel like you're a failure. And as a church leader, you start to internalize all of this and think, I never should have gotten into this in the first place. I'm not very good at this. It must, it must be because I'm a fallen, broken person. And then the enemy just begins to use that. And I, I really believe that some of the things that Jim heard in his mind in his last moments were, you're such a flawed individual. Look at the things you've done wrong. There's no way God can use you. And I'm sure some of the other thoughts were, aren't you tired of battling this? Aren't you tired of wrestling this? Just go home. Your family be better off without you. And these are the lies that we believe. And I would always encourage pastors to take social media fast, to, to just get off of the comparison treadmill that we're always on, of celebrating what God has done and is doing, and rather than waiting for God to do something new and better than the church down the street. 
And that's that's difficult because if we're not comparing ourselves to others, then we have people in our church comparing ourselves to others. Um, I, I love it when people come up to me on a Sunday and say, that message was great. It was almost as good as the message I got before I came here from Joel Osteen. You know, <laughs> so, there, so there's always these comparisons out there. Um, and it's really hard. And we live in a day and age when our culture is just feeding that uh, that envy monster inside all of us. Yeah, that's uh, that that could be a challenge. And I think, you know, that means we have to be intentional at how we how we approach um, social media or comparison or, you know, looking and striving so hard, because I feel like sometimes as ministry leaders, we feel like we have to live up to something, live up to something, live up to something. So we're pressing, pressing, pressing into something. Um, and we have to be reminded, hey, you are you are God's beloved, <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and, and he God does not call every single pastor to pastor a megachurch. We know that. I mean, we look around. I mean, that's just the reality of the world in which we live or every single pastor to, to be engaged. Every single pastor is called to be faithful um, to the people in the community that God's called them to. And, mm-hmm. and we have to rest in that, I think, and remember that. So true. I was just reading in this book the other day. It's a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah fantastic book. And she writes in there, and I don't, I'd never noticed this before, but those words that, that the father says to the son after being baptized, you know, this is my beloved son and whom I'm, I'm well pleased. She says, this is before he ever did a miracle. Mm. This is before any of his great messages, before any of his great healings, even before the crucifixion or the, even the transfiguration. This is before all of that. I am well pleased in him. And then Jesus tells us in John 17, as he's talking to the father, that he says the father loves us as much as he loves him. Mm-hmm. So to think about that, that you, on your worst day, God is still crazy about you and is still impressed by you. And you are still his beloved child, regardless of how well the numbers were on Sunday. Yes, that's so good. Rusty, thank you so much for taking the time um, to share uh, what what God has taught you as you and your team at Real Life Church have have navigated this, and and uh, I, I pray this will be helpful for others who are listening in. And any final final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I'd love to just read a scripture that somebody sent to me during this difficult time, and it, it was so helpful for me because you know obviously you're going through a dark time and and you're you're looking for scriptures that and you, you kind of get used to the same ones over and over again and you think yeah i've heard this but and i had not i had not really pondered this one it's from lamentations uh, which was fitting uh, chapter 3 verse 19 and it says i will never forget this awful time as i grieve over my loss and and i love that cuz it's like somebody's you know uh, kind of saying i i get it But then uh, Jeremiah says next, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. And I can tell you, nine months later, the Lord is kind. Beautiful, brother. Well, I so appreciate you um, being with us, Rusty, and uh, we'll have in the show notes um, uh, some of the things that, that you shared. And as you said, people can reach out to you if they're they're wrestling through something like this in their own local church. And uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Rusty? 
Yeah, they can connect with me, uh, obviously, on on social media, and it's at Rusty L. George uh, through my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com, but they can also email me directly, rgeorge, and that's the letter R-G-E-O-R-G-E, at reallifechurch.org. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate your friendship. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.